I've been reflecting, trying to consider what it was that enabled the saints, like our patroness, Saint Dorothy, to be willing to sacrifice their very lives for their belief. Now, obviously, we can say it was grace. Of course, it was grace. Without the grace of Jesus Christ, without his offering and grace through the sacraments, it wouldn't be possible. But there has to be a human element in there. Dorothy was actually part of it. She did something. So what was it? What enabled her to be so willing at such a young age to not only consecrate herself to Christ in chastity, but also to freely throw away her life for her love for our Lord? You see, our culture, and, and pretty much all first world cultures, and, and this isn't new in, in history, by the way. It, it happens generation after generation. But our culture has this kind of basic heresy, this idea that the only real things are what your senses can perceive. Touch, taste, smell, hear, see. These are the only real things. Only physical things, only the world around you that you can touch and measure and evaluate is real. Obviously, we know better. Obviously, it's a great error on their part. But it's a very common mistake. Even people who often think they believe in God, or at least believe in some version of God, that belief doesn't have any concrete effect in their physical lives because they separate the soul and the body. They, they in essence, want to tear them apart. One doesn't have to do with the other necessarily. God doesn't care about these things or those things. That's not important to him. It's just whether you're a good person inside, right? Whatever that means. The only thing that would enable any human, at least on a, on a purely human level, to be willing to give up the natural goods of this life is if they truly believe that there's something greater than anything in this physical world. That even their physical lives are not worth the reward that they will get in remaining faithful to Christ and sacrificing themselves for him and for the gospel. But to have that kind of belief, to have that kind of conviction, is not an easy thing to come by. This is why as Catholics, the church requires us to do so many ritual things. Obviously, Jesus himself is the one who gave us the seven sacraments. All of our rituals are based out of that structure, that design, that theology, that philosophy. But the church has added her own over the millennia. Take the genuflection, for example. It's a simple thing we do. We come into the church, we genuflect. Before we sit down, we genuflect before we leave. Right? It's a sign of reverence because we have entered our Lord's Eucharistic presence. Now, as Catholics, it should be merely habitual after a few years. You almost do it without thinking, but that can be dangerous. Because one time when I was in college, I got the opportunity to go listen to Christmas carols at this beautiful Lutheran basilica in Pittsburgh. And so, you know, myself and some of the other students got all dressed up. I almost said dolled up. The girls got dolled up. I got dressed up. And, and we went down there. And, you know, we're walking. In. It's a gorgeous, I mean, it is a, a beautiful cathedral. Obviously, it's Lutheran. There's no blessed sacrament. It's not a Catholic church. 
It's just a really pretty building, basically, that they used to pray in. So as we're walking in, I'm quietly commenting on how beautiful the artwork is and the paintings and everything like that. And as I'm about to find a pew to sit down in, I find myself genuflecting, right? Just out of habit, just out of habit. Some of you may have heard this story before. So I realized, I'm a quick thinker, I realized all my friends are behind me. They're gonna see me genuflect. So I threw myself to the ground and act like I tripped because I thought that was less humiliating than genuflecting in a Lutheran church. Um, so uh, they're like, are you okay, David? Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine, fine, must have slipped. <laughs> so, but, you know, it becomes this habit for us. I'm sure I shared with you this story, one of my uh, priest formators when I was a religious brother, Father Seraphim, did a lot of his formation in DC in the 50s. And he, and some of the other seminarians used to go to the movie theaters. There's this one Catholic-owned movie theater downtown D.C. that on solemnities and holy days of obligation, the owner would close it to the public and open it to religious seminarians, priests, so they could come for free. And so they would always go early and sit in the back with their bags of popcorn and peanuts and watch all of the nuns and brothers and priests genuflect before they go and sit down to watch the movie, right? It's just habit. It's, it's built into us. But there's a reason for the habit, right? There's a reason for the action that we perform. It's because we actually believe that this is really Jesus. This poorly tasting cracker is in fact the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have good reason to believe it. We're correct in believing it. But that's what informs our choice to genuflect. That's why we do it. But those little actions that we perform as Catholics in ritual and throughout our day, the little things that the church asks us are constantly trying to reinforce the fact that what we believe is real, it's not imagined. It's not just a nice idea. Who, who is it? What, Nietzsche or somebody who said that, I don't know if it was him, a religion is the opiate of the masses, right? It just makes the poor peons who have really no hope for a good life feel better about themselves. Some, some invisible, all-powerful creature is going to reward you when you're dead. Ha! They laugh at us. Well, I, honestly, I'd, I'd rather believe this than believe what they believe. I find that I'm happier being a Catholic, following these teachings, as difficult as they can be at times. I'm happier than anything the world has ever offered me. They say, what is it? The proof is in the pudding. Try living the life. And what you'll see is people who have a lot of fame and money, who have all of the goods of this physical world, are also the center and focus of most of the gossip. You know why? Ooh, the stuff they get into. Ooh, the problems in their lives. All their broken marriages and their fourth and fifth and eighth marriage. Now they just gave up on marriage. They're just living together. All of the plastic surgery, all of the month-long trips to Tahiti, whatever it is, right? And they're still miserable. They're still ruining their relationships. They're still doing drugs and looking for any escape because they have no meaning in life. If the physical world around us is all there is, then blow your brains out because it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. 
And all of us know this intuitively. It's written on our hearts. Our patroness, Saint Dorothy, she saw this more clearly even than you and I. She realized that there is nothing in this world I want more than our Lord. So if someone gives me the opportunity to go see Jesus sooner, I'm going to jump at it. You're going to kill me for following Jesus? Let's do it. You see this in the lives of the martyrs. The majority of them run toward martyrdom. Now, on a psychological level, that can look very crazy. That is true. The question, of course, is what is motivating them? What is their underlying belief? And how have they lived their life up to that point? So I encourage all of you on this day, not only receiving St. Dorothy's great intercession, but reflecting on her willingness to suffer and die, to sacrifice all for the Lord. What things are you holding on to in this life? What things would you not let go of for Jesus? Your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, money, property, possessions, your looks, your intelligence. What would you be willing to sacrifice for our Lord? When I was in college, our Lord was working on me in this area in particular. And one of the areas of pride I've had since I was young was my intellect. I'm not smarter than everybody, but I'm, I'm pretty quick and pretty intelligent. I weave a good argument. And so that, for me, growing up was like, yeah, I'm smarter than all of my brothers. This is the one thing I have, right? So I, I really held on to it. I didn't even realize that it was a, a thing of pride. So one day in adoration, did adoration every day, our Lord took it from me. And I, I don't really know how to explain this. It was truly a mystical experience. There I was doing my prayers, everything is normal, and suddenly my intelligence was stripped away. I only knew basic things. I could, you know, still read and write and all of that stuff. But that night when I tried to do my philosophy or theology homework, it was like reading a foreign language. None of it made sense. Over the next few days, I went to class having no idea what the teachers were saying when the day before, all of it was easy to me, easy for me to understand. And I very quickly became terrified that this is now the rest of my life. The Lord had taken from me that which... I held precious. And this went on for a week. So finally, after six or seven days, I realized I may never get this back again. So I returned to my holy hour like I did every day. And I said, Lord, so be it. Job teaches us the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is what you want from me, I begrudgingly accept it. I went to bed that night, and the next morning I woke up, and everything was back to normal. This was the same test, in essence, that God gave to Abraham. He gave him his son Isaac, his greatest gift. And then he said, now I want you to sacrifice him for me. 
I'm not just going to take him from you. I want you to sacrifice him for me. That's the difference. It's hard enough for us to endure patiently when God takes something from us. But how many of us, like Abraham, are willing to give it up freely? I wouldn't have been if God didn't take it away from me. I would not have permitted that. I wouldn't have sacrificed it. So if there is something that you still inappropriately hold on to in this life, give it to St. Dorothy. She will give it to the Blessed Mother. She will give it to Jesus. And then even if God never takes it from you while you're in this world, at least it won't have a grip on your heart. Then your heart will open up and there'll be more room for our Lord to become the most important thing. So that if God willing, he ever calls you to imitate the example of the martyrs, you'd be willing and ready to do so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.